Hey, why don't you stay standing for the reading of God's Word from Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 34 through uh, 38, as we again look here at Jesus defining and describing what it means to be a follower of Him. As again, we'll pick up on this theme, the great distinction between being a fan of Jesus and being a follower of Jesus. Mark 8, verse 34, He called to Him the crowd with His disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses it for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him... Will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels? Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that for everyone that is gathered in this room, that moment when Jesus comes with the holy angels will be a glorious moment. Because we have lived our lives unashamed of Jesus and not living a a life of self-promotion or self-preservation, but rather of self-denial. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Of course, you may be seated. Uh, Mark chapter 8, home base for us in these days, and and we're taking a a weekend, uh, began last week, continuing today. And then over the next two weekends, Lord willing, to emphasize sort of one of these phrases in this statement. If anyone would come after me, last week we talked about coming after Jesus. Today, let him deny himself. Next week, take up his cross. And then that uh, following week, follow me to really understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul Tripp is one of my very favorite authors. And uh, Paul Tripp says, if you want to see human depravity on display, take a long road trip with your family and inevitably somewhere along the line it'll be clear that humanity is depraved. Uh, Maybe it wasn't this way for you but on most I'll say when I was growing up there was not a lot of self-denial going on on the long family road trip. I wanted to listen to the radio station I wanted to listen to. My mom had her preferences and my brothers had their preferences and then the whole road trip is sort of geared around a lack of self-denial. We talked about this last weekend, that from this point forward in the Gospel of Mark, the number of people coming out to the ministry of Jesus, the crowd size, what happens as Jesus continues on to the cross? The crowd size actually gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And what I want to suggest tonight to you is this. The reason for that is people don't want to deny themselves. And in order to follow Jesus, what does he say here? Self-denial is a requirement. You will spend your life either denying self or denying God. Those are the only two ways to live. When Jesus tells us here in Mark 8 to deny yourself, I do want you to see that it is in the context of doing so, denying yourself, in order that you would gain something so much greater. Because I think uh, often we don't deny self because we think we're forfeit, something that really matters. Well, Jesus says, if you'll deny self and come after me, you'll get 
all that really matters. Talked about this last week in the weddings that I'm able to do. Often we'll stand in this room, and the statement is not forsaking most others. What is the statement? Forsaking all others. And that's what Jesus is saying here. But do you know who it is at the end of the day that is most difficult for you to forsake in order to follow Jesus? It's actually your own self. A covenant with Jesus requires two things. He says it right here, denial and death. So let's just take a few moments tonight and talk about what that really means if you are to deny yourself. I'm going to give you three questions. This will be how we'll spend our Bible study. Three questions that is sort of a a diagnosis of denial. Uh, This coming Thursday, I've got my annual checkup with the doctor, right? It's just a routine. As far as I know, it's going to be routine. And when I get there, there's a few things that he's going to check to say how I'm doing with my own physical well-being. Well, what I want to do is give you a little checkup tonight. You all right with this? A little checkup of where you happen to be in life when it comes to denying self. Because this really is the distinction between just existing in the world and really living. Really living. Abundant life or just going through life. It's a lie from the enemy, and it's the most common, one of his most common lies. If you deny yourself, you'll miss out. But Jesus says if you deny yourself, you'll really live. In America, we know all about customer service. And one of my very first jobs that I ever had, I had a whole day of training on customer service. And when I was cleaning out some old things recently, I came across the notes that I had taken for this job. And and it was important as an employee of this company that I was good at customer service. And here what it says, customer service prioritizes making the customer feel comfortable, important, and happy. That's not what Jesus is calling us to, is it? A life of comfort. It is a happiness. We'll talk about that more. And it really is the only way to have a life of importance. But Jesus is not a customer service representative. He's the king. So here is the first of our three questions to get to our denial diagnosis. Let's start with this one. Do you, do I, compartmentalize following Jesus in life, or is all of your life surrendered to him? You know what it means to compartmentalize, right? Use the illustration last week, but just again, I'm not a good swimmer, getting nervous on a boat dock, but I've been there where a foot is on the dock and a foot is on the boat, and that is not somewhere you can stay, right? You've got to either decide, I'm going to stay on the dock or I'm going to get on the boat, and that's especially true when what happens? If the boat happens to be leaving the dock, right? If you don't get in the boat or on the dock, what's going to happen? You're going to drop right in, <laughs> right in the water. In other words, you can't compartmentalize. In weekend worship, I'm with Jesus, but come Monday or come Friday or come some other time, I'm not with my king. Hey, hey you know this, right? Love's never compartmentalized, is it? Love's not compartmentalized. When you really love somebody, it's not a compartment in your heart. It is the heart. If you're in Mark, join me in Colossians uh, chapter uh, 3. Colossians chapter 3. Turn with me there, and I want you to see some important things from Colossians 3. Colossians 3, beginning in verse number 1. If... Everybody say the word if on the count of three. One, two, three. If. If, then, 
then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is a portion of your life, it's not what he says, right? Who is your life appears same day, I believe, that Jesus was referring to in Mark chapter 8, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then, look what he says in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. If in these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Can you imagine me telling Julie, let's be married on Sundays and Wednesdays, but the other five days I'll do my own thing? Of course not, right? Why is that, why is that ludicrous? Because we love each other. Mark 8, 34 through 38 is an invitation. It's not a coercion, right? If you want to come after me, deny yourself in order to follow me. Don't compartmentalize your pursuit of Jesus. Of being a follower of Jesus, if you've been crucified with him, that is your identity. Amen? It's your identity everywhere that you go. So, first question, do you compartmentalize following Jesus as sort of a section of your life, or is Christ, in the way that Paul says in Colossians 3, is he your life? We all right? Question number one. Important question to answer, though, isn't it? Question number two, are you more likely to grumble or have gratitude? It's hot in here to me all of a sudden. Are you more likely to grumble or have gratitude? gratitude. What comes most naturally to you in your life? A grumbling and complaining spirit or gratitude and praise? Just for a moment, what legitimate reason, what legitimate reason does a follower of Jesus have to grumble? A legitimate reason. And we come up with reasons, but they're not quite (laughs) legitimate in view of who Christ is. You know, tomorrow, no, I was going to say tomorrow's Monday, but it's not. It's actually Sunday. But Monday is coming. When Monday morning comes, how many of you wake up because of an alarm clock that goes off? Monday morning comes, alarm clock goes off. What's the first thought that enters your head? Anybody want to say it out loud? You don't have to. We're streaming, so it's probably best that you don't. Is it a grumble? Or is it an expression of gratitude? What's the very first thing? Is it frustration or anxiety? Or is it already the morning? Maybe that's your first thought. Or maybe you're so tired you don't even have a thought. But when a a new day comes, are you glad to see the new day? I can guarantee you a way that you'll always grumble. Guaranteed way to always grumble is never deny yourself. And the reason for that. The reason you'll grumble about others, you'll grumble about God, you'll grumble about circumstances, you'll grumble about how much you grumble. There are so many things that are to be put to death at the cross of Jesus Christ, but certainly among them is our grumbling. Amen? There's no legitimate reason to be a grumbler. That is no way suggests that life is not hard, circumstances aren't difficult, 
I believe that one of my privileges as a pastor is to prepare you for the unexpected. You think about the last year of your life. Anybody dealing with something you didn't know you were going to deal with? We all are, of course, in some measure. But I mean, maybe way down deep in your soul, you're dealing with some things today that you didn't anticipate were going to be your life. The only way to prepare is to see what God says in his word. And grumbling results when you use all the wrong comparison metrics. Thomas Watson is a Puritan author And he gives what I think is a great way to train the mind to think in order to live a life of gratitude instead of grumbling. He gives these suggestions, and I want to pass them on to you because I found them very helpful in life. Number one, you want to get the right comparison, move from grumbling to gratitude. Number one, compare your condition to what you actually deserve. What do you actually deserve? When it comes to kindness and mercy, God has given us more than we deserve. Now, how could, Thomas Watson asks, these men throughout the New Testament, these men and women who suffer so much, be content like the Apostle Paul, for example, when he's in prison unjustly? So Watson asks this question. He says, it must have been true of the Apostle Paul when he was thrown into prison. He thought, I could have been thrown into hell, (laughs) right? So first his What is my condition to what I deserve? And then second, compare your condition with those who have so much less. I know I've shared with you before that uh, not long after a devastating earthquake hit Haiti, several men here in the church and I went to Haiti. And I told the Lord after that experience, I will never complain again. I would like to say I've held up to that, but the sin nature is so strong, but... And if you, if you have a bed to sleep in tonight, if it is not on your radar screen, where is my next meal coming from? Then you need to know you are very blessed in life. As he says, go back to the Apostle Paul. When Paul was in prison, he could have thought, well, Daniel was in the lion's den, and certainly that was worse. So compare your condition to what you deserve, and then compare your condition to others who have less, and then compare your condition to what Christ's experience was when he was on the earth. Back to your home tonight. You got a bed to sleep in tonight? Jesus said foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We get so uh, unhappy about such silly things often in our lives. Are you unhappy with your appearance? Well, Jesus says in Isaiah, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. Have your friends really let you down? Matthew 26, 56, all the disciples left and fled from him. So whatever, uh, whenever you're facing difficulty, you always know Jesus has faced this too, and Jesus has faced this worse. And then, and then another comparison. Compare your condition to what it once was. You remember when you were dead in your trespasses and sins? When you walked in darkness, when you didn't know the Lord? Compare your condition to what it once was. 1 Timothy 6, 7, we brought nothing into the world. The great verse, isn't it? Great truth. You brought nothing. Did anybody call yourself into being? We're, we're very demanding people, aren't we, for not being God, aren't we? And then five. Oh, I love this one. Compare your condition with what it will be soon. There is a time coming very soon 
when every tear will be dried, when death itself will be no more. Set, if then you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. So are you, are you more prone to grumbling or gratitude? You see it in Adam, can't you? As soon as sin enters the world, what does he become? He becomes a grumbler. He grumbles about his wife. He grumbles about God. He grumbles about his lot in life. Got one more question that we'll do together. Number three, is your soul restless or at rest? Turn with me now to uh, the Old Testament book of Psalms in Psalm 139. It's been our fighter verse this week. I want you to see it with me. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. I want to read what uh, we looked at last week and then the, the two new verses for this week. For you formed my inward parts, verse 13, Psalm 139. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Remember we talked about this last week. If God put you together, he can put you back together. I praise you. It's a statement of praise, not grumbling. For I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed servant, uh, substance. rather. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none. God who made us is the, is the only one who can remake us. A few weeks ago, Juliana, my youngest, um, made a request of a movie that she wanted us to, to watch. Uh, together and in my opinion it's the most theologically astute movie of my lifetime it's one of her favorite movies and when I was a child I I, I bet I saw it in the theater 10 times remember way back when we had the dollar theater over here on sunset and this this particular movie stayed there I feel like for three months and I would go again and again to see this deeply theological movie called Home Alone movie's 30 years old, which is hard to believe. You've had 30 years to see it, so if this is a spoiler, I'm sorry. But the movie, the lead character is a boy named Kevin, Kevin McAllister. He's eight years old, and in the first 15 minutes or so of the movie, we see that his family gets on his last nerve, and he just wishes that they would disappear. And then when his family leaves to go to Paris, they accidentally leave him behind, so he is home alone and left to himself he can do what he wants eat what he wants watch what he wants and about midway through the movie I think about this every time I watch the movie there's this scene and the the camera pans and you see bowls full of melted ice cream and candy and snacks and all manner of stuff he's just made a mess and then the camera keeps panning and you see Kevin there doing what he wants and he's sitting in the chair and he's eaten too much, he stayed up too late, and he's just a miserable wreck, right? He's gotten everything that he wanted. This is why the movie's theologically astute. You've got to look for hidden meaning sometimes in movies. But now that he's separated from his family, he begins to see it's not everything he thought it would be. Of course, most of the uh, attention in the movie goes to the traps and obstacles he sets up for Harry and Marv. But the worst trap of all is the one we set for ourselves when we think my life would be so much better off 
if I got rid of God and no one told me what to do? You know what that results in? Just look around. Look where we are. It results not in freedom, but actually kind of lifeless existence. Now, if you resolve to live like that, if you'll pardon a bad play on words, you will end up alone, but you will never really be home. This is what David is getting at here in this psalm. I belong to you. You're the one who made me. You're the one who knows all the days before me. You formed my inward parts. You, you, you brought forth my substance. I am not the king. You are. When Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Do you know what he's really doing? He's inviting you to come home. So you'll either be self-ruled or Christ-ruled. The great irony is that when you exalt yourself, you make yourself a stranger to yourself. You'll always, you'll always be restless. I've thought a a lot about this word that uh, he uses in verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you. Not a frame is, right? Now, here it goes. I've always shared with you. I'm I'm terrible at illustrations about um, most everything other than sports, but when, when you're building something, I do know that there's a frame to it, right? I know that this building, for example, has a frame. And there are certain things that it can bear, and then there are certain things that it can't bear. You have not, I have not been made with a frame that can bear the place and the position of God. We don't have that kind of frame. It's not the way that we're made. We were made to know God and live in fellowship with God. You'll never be at rest. You'll never be at rest until you come home. Life will just be a sequence of false promises, and you'll chase that for a little while, and you'll get there, and there's no pot at the end of that rainbow. It was a mirage, and you'll keep going, and you'll keep going, and you'll keep going. It's a little bit like Abel and I when we were up in that mountain. You know what I had to do? It's a really important Bible word. I had to humble myself. I had to say, I really don't know where I'm going. I need to turn around. The Bible word for that is to repent. And really what it is, repentance, if you uh, squeeze it enough, you know what what it is? Coming after Jesus, denying self, taking up the cross, and following him. But I also want you to know this of your king, of the Lord Jesus. The one who invites you to come after him, he came after you first. came after you first. He's all in in saving you. His requirement is that you be all in in being saved. So how could, in conclusion, how could we respond to him and what he's done by saying, okay, I'll give you a little slice of my life, or by grumbling, or by being restless? You know what the great testimony to the world? Of course, they'll know that we're his disciples by how we love one another. But often in the kind of practical day-in, day-out way that that works is, is that they can see that in your life, following Jesus is not a segment. It is your life. If you really want to stand out in the culture, be a person of gratitude, not a person of grumbling. And then, I'll tell you what, uh, 
we looked at that passage from Matthew 5 last week, I believe it was. You're the light of the world. city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men put a lamp on a, a basket, uh, uh, stand and put it under a basket. If you want to shine as light, have a soul that is at rest. He's been good to us. In conclusion, again, in Mark 8, we live in a generation that says life is the very opposite of what Jesus says here. We live in a generation that says, don't deny yourself anything. You have an appetite for it, go after it. Now, if we look carefully at what Jesus says here, that's the surefire way of destroying yourself. There's two competing gospels, by and large, in our generation. And they go like this. Is there something in here that I need to be delivered unto? Or is there something in here that I need to be delivered from? And Jesus says, you want to come after me and really have life? You have to deny yourself and say, what I really need is not here. It's him. It's him. It's him. Let's stand together. We're going to pray together. And then we're going to fill this place up with gratitude and praise to the king father i say to myself a thousand times a day don't deny yourself don't deny yourself and it never it has never once in my life led to rest or joy or peace and those of us who are born again by faith in the lord jesus christ that flesh is still in us. That old nature is still in us. And it rises up and demands to be heard. Oh, God, give us grace to trust the words of Jesus more than we trust the words of our own sin nature. God, I pray our homes are places where they're full of those who deny self in order to serve others. God, give us grace to hear the lies of the world around us as lies in order that we could gain, uh, gain something so much better in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Father, we who have been saved by grace want to proclaim to you our gratitude and praise. May it be pleasing in your sight, we say in Jesus' name. Amen.